Hello again. Um, so another episode here where I'm going to be talking about some of the questions or issues that people brought up with uh, the paper. Uh, and this one has to do with the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Uh, several people mentioned the quadrilateral and some people even asked me, you know, why, why is it that you don't address this at all in the paper about Sola Scriptura? Because um, in, in conversations about biblical theology, the, the quadrilateral usually comes up. Um, you know, somebody usually brings that up. Now, I, I didn't um, overlook it in my paper. I just, the reason I didn't bring it up in the paper is because I think, well, uh, the quadrilateral uh, kind of lines up okay with the, the Protestant version of Sola Scriptura. It doesn't really contribute much to the approach I'm, I'm, I'm uh, introducing here. Uh, at least I don't think. And, you know, somebody, if somebody disagrees, they're welcome to kind of show me another perspective on this quadrilateral that maybe I haven't thought of before. But personally, I don't see um, how we would contribute to a true sola scriptura theology. Uh, in fact, by its very nature, I think the quadrilateral points in a different direction. So let's let's kind of walk through it a little bit and, and, and I'll explain a little bit uh, more as to why this is. All right, so let's start with uh, reason. I think that's the easiest one for me to bring up. Now, one of the problems with the quadrilateral is that the the elements, uh, reason, tradition, and experience can be understood in many different ways. So it's almost like it's a, it's a, a meaningless uh, concept to use, or it's, it's, a, it's a concept, a construct that, that, that isn't helpful because people can twist it and turn it in any direction they want. And in fact, I have often come across people that uh, use the quadrilateral in a way that's very different than it was originally intended to, to be used. Uh, but the, the components themselves can be taken in different ways. And that's, I think, a, a problem, uh, one of the biggest problems with it. So let's, let's talk about reason first. Now, reason can mean different, different things. So at its uh, most basic level, reason is a, a method for humans to communicate, okay? So when we try to convey ideas across and we try to communicate with each other about different concepts, uh, we follow certain rules of logic, which if we don't follow them, uh, it ends up, uh, the conversation ends up becoming incoherent. And this is something, you know, you could take classes on logic. You could go and, and, and take courses at a college and they'll walk you through all the different rules of logic. But even if you don't take those classes, if you spend enough time talking to people, you realize that there have to be certain rules of communication. Otherwise, uh, the conversation just ends up being pointless because you're not really getting your ideas across. So, for example, just something very basic like the, the formula A cannot equal non-A. So, you know, if you, if you are going to take a logic course, they'll have this symbol A, and then you have the equal sign with a with slash on it, and then non-A. So all that's saying is that if, if you define something to be A, then you cannot, that something cannot also equal the opposite or something that isn't A. Otherwise, 
the the whole meaning of it becomes incoherent you know your 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 initial definition of the of the term uh loses its purpose and and then any anybody can use the word or the the terminology the the variable a they could use that anywhere they want any way they want and it doesn't convey any meaning anymore if you cannot put those rules in place so essentially reason is a basis for us to to convey ideas across so when it comes to biblical interpretation for somebody to say you have to use reason to understand scripture that's not really saying anything i mean it's the same thing like saying you have to use language to understand scripture well yeah of course we have to use language or or somebody saying you have to use your brain to understand scripture it's a it's a redundant or superfluous useless piece of information because that's all that stuff is understood of course you're how you're going to have to use your reasoning to make sense of scripture because you have to use your reasoning to make sense of anything it's not really a helpful tool <clears throat> to tell somebody hey okay i'm going to give you some tools to interpret scripture and one of them is you have to use your reason that stuff is understood it, it, just like it's understood that you have to be able to read in order to read the bible right you don't have to tell somebody your your first tool in in interpreting scripture is you have to be able to read uh, that that's just a, a, an, an an unnecessary um <clears throat> piece of information so if we if we define if we take the quadrilateral and we take the component reason and by reason we mean simply the human ability to communicate by certain rules and certain structures then that's just an unnecessary piece of information you don't need to add that component in the quadrilateral so that's one meaning of the term reason another meaning of reason is what we would probably better you what would be better labeled philosophy so philosophy is using your reason to try to deduce certain things about the nature of reality and 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 things like that and we've talked about this quite a bit in the past so if the quadrilateral when it uses the phrase reason it's referring to the first meaning then that meaning is redundant if it's referring to the second meaning which is philosophy then the problem is that there's many different philosophical constructs that we have in christian theology so which one do you use so it's not really helpful to tell somebody that you have to use reason in in scriptural interpretation if by that you mean a certain type of philosophy because you haven't told the person which one of the 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 different philosophical constructs you're referring to so again it's not helpful regardless of whether you you define reason as a means of communication or you define reason as as philosophy whichever one you use it's not really helpful and i've <clears throat> talked about this quite a bit in the past that um philosophy has played an important role in christian theological development but unfortunately philosophy is is essentially speculation because human beings just don't have access to um metaphysics to be able to discern what what reality is like behind the scenes um and if we if we're going to do scriptural interpretation and 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 bring those ideas to scripture um then that's going to affect how we interpret it when in fact we should actually derive our metaphysics from the bible so we shouldn't be bringing rational constructs that we came up with apart from scripture and bringing them into our interpretation so that's 
that's the problem that I see with with the first leg of the, of the quadrilateral. Obviously, the, the the first leg is scripture, but that one is a given. We're not questioning that. We're talking about the other three: reason, <clears throat> um, tradition, and experience. So, there's two ways to understand the word reason. The first way it's useless to mention it. The second way it doesn't work because philosophy has taken many many directions and and it's not really helpful to un, unless we're told which one to use all right so now let's move to the next one tradition um the problem with tradition is very slim, similar M- mainly that as i've talked about in previous episodes philosophy has had a significant influence about, on christian tradition uh and the thing is tradition is ongoing so we have tradition starting from the first generation of christians continuing on over centuries through the early church fathers, the later fathers, going into uh, medieval history, going into the Protestant history. So there's a Protestant tradition that has taken many different directions. You know, there's the Lutheran tradition, the the Reformed tradition, the Anglican tradition, the Anabaptist tradition, and many, many others. And each time a new perspective comes on the scene, as time goes, it develops its own tradition. Um, if we're talking about the in, the original early tradition, like the, the Protestants, as I mentioned before, had used basically kind of skipping over centuries of other traditions and going back to the beginning. Again, even that early tradition has been influenced by some, some type of philosophy, whether it's Platonism, Neoplatonism later with Augustine, and of course, later on, we have uh, Aristotle and so on. So whatever difficulties we have, with philosophy when we were talking about the the other leg of the quadrilateral which is reason uh, it it carries over to tradition and then i've mentioned many other problems with tradition mainly that it's geographically conditioned and it's chronologically conditioned so we don't know which times in history uh, people should draw the line uh, as to when when tradition kind of went off track and then, of course, we have many traditions from within our own denomination. So all these things are not really helpful either when it comes to how to interpret scripture. Now, there are certain people that will argue, well, hey, it doesn't matter if you don't like tradition. It's inevitable that you're influenced by tradition. Uh, so, for example, uh, within the world of hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics is one of the disciplines of, of within the world of theology. So, uh there, there's people who are experts in hermeneutics and, um, you know, they, they trace, and, and this is, uh, I should mention that obviously all of scriptural interpretation falls under hermeneutics, but there's a certain um, aspect to, to hermeneutical science, so to speak, that, that comes from outside the world of theology and then was incorporated into, into theology. So you have influential people like, uh, Heidegger and, and Gadamer, especially, who sort of developed, you know, ideas like the hermeneutical spiral, where you you have this going back and forth between um, early tradition and modern traditions and and scripture and other other elements, and this sort of spiral of of interpretation, kind of going between this these different elements. So. When people come at things from that angle, they essentially say, well, hey, everybody is immersed in a tradition. You cannot come to the Bible without being affected by tradition in some way. And, and you might as well just accept that and, and, and deal with it. So, okay, that's, so that's an argument that, that somebody might use when, 
when I would, if I'm um, going to say here that we shouldn't be using tradition in scriptural interpretation, they might say, hey, you can't, you can't help but use it. But the problem isn't whether you can or cannot help but use it. That's not really the issue here. The issue is, are we attempting to align ourselves with, tradition, with the tradition or are we attempting to critique the tradition? There's two different postures here. So one posture is, you know, like, let's say we just accepted that, that claim. We said, hey, we cannot help but be immersed in some tradition. All of us come to scripture with baggage. You know, we, we've got decades of experience in this world. We were raised a certain way. We were educated a certain way. We've got ideas in our heads coming from many different sources that affected our worldview. And when we come to the Bible, we bring that with us and we cannot uh, we cannot depart or, or detach ourselves from that, right? Okay, let's accept that as fact. What do we do next? Do we try to line, align ourselves with Christian tradition in some way? Or are we looking for a way to uh, move away from all this baggage that we're bringing to the Bible and to immerse ourselves into the tradition of scripture? That's the question. So, uh, and those are two different postures because depending on which which uh, <clears throat> model you're working with, whether you're Catholic or, or um, Protestant or something else, you come to scripture with different attitudes. So, so somebody coming from the Protestant, the traditional Protestant perspective, will say, you know, uh, we don't want to be influenced by Catholic tradition, so we have to take a posture of critique against Catholic tradition, but we do want to be influenced by the early church fathers. So we need to immerse ourselves in that tradition and allow that to influence our scriptural interpretation. What I'm saying is that if we're going to take the sola scriptura approach, we have to take the same posture of critique even to the early church fathers. So that way we're not influenced by them any more than we are influenced by other traditions. And obviously it might, it might not happen overnight. We might not be able to completely detach ourselves from whatever baggage we've acquired over the centuries, but the hermeneutical spiral here should move us in the other direction. In other words, we should be constantly going back and forth, trying to immerse us, ourselves into scripture and detach ourselves from any influence we might have from, from outside sources. It is a completely different perspective if you realize you're coming to the scripture with baggage and then you further immerse yourself in that baggage or you try to separate yourself from it. And what I've argued in my initial presentations is that it is possible to do a sola scriptura theology if you approach the Bible the way you approach any book that is intended to be a standalone. And there's many books like that where you, you know, you, you go to the library and you could pick up a book and it could describe a world that's very different than ours and it has different rules, different situations, but you could immerse yourself in the world of that book and interpret the events that happen from within the perspective of that book. And in my, <clears throat> in my initial paper, I used the, the, as an example, the movie, The Matrix, where I, where I pointed out that you know, people from all over the world could watch that movie and understand it, even though the movie is very different than the way we understand everyday life, right? I mean, you know, we don't believe we live in a computer simulation and all those other things. But <clears throat> when you immerse yourself in the world of the movie, you're able to make sense of it because you adopt its own metaphysics, you adopt its own greater 
picture, it's all macro narrative, like I explained it. <clears throat> and you use those elements to interpret what you're, what's happening within the story. So the Bible theoretically could be approached in that same way. We have a canon, we have a set of data, and we can come to it and immerse ourselves in the world of this data by trying to decipher it's the metaphysics that, that it's presented there, as opposed to coming to the scripture with our own metaphysics that we, we derive from some other source, whether science or philosophy or culture or anywhere else, we can immerse ourselves in the metaphysics of scripture. We can develop or de decipher its macro narrative and then use those elements as, as the hermeneutical lens for everything else. And in the process, trying to detach ourselves from traditions, trying to detach ourselves from um, all this baggage that we bring to the scripture and immerse ourselves deeper and deeper into the world of the Bible. So in this way, uh, the tradition aspect of the quadrilateral is, is just like the reason aspect is, I don't believe helpful to the sola scriptura approach that I'm, that I'm uh, discussing. Okay, so the last one is experience. Now, experience, I'm a little less uh, clear on personally. <clears throat> I haven't, maybe I haven't really thought about it long enough. But uh, uh, there's aspects of it that I think have the same problems. Like, for example, if by experience you mean the worldview you carry to the, um, um, or, or let me say it this way, if by experience what you what you mean is um, so your understanding of the religious life, your personal experience with God, all these different things, um, all these things are usually affected by a person's worldview. So you could go from religion or denomination to denomination, and you could interact with people, and, and people will claim to have real relationships with God, real experiences with God in some way, but the way they interpret those experiences are heavily influenced by the the worldview they bring to the experience. So you know, you know, somebody coming from a Catholic perspective, somebody coming from a Pentecostal perspective, someone coming from the liberal perspective, can have a very religious experience, but their experience is very different than someone else's. Each each individual, whichever perspective they've come from, will you know, there, there's some elements that are in common, but there's also elements that are very different because they have an entire worldview through which they interpret those experience, experiences. So in the same way, if we allowed our experience to guide our scriptural interpretation, it could have the same effect that, that we get when um, <clears throat> coming at it from, from, a, from through the lens of tradition, through the lens of philosophy and so on. So in that sense, um, Experience could personal experience, if that's that's how we interpret that term, could also be um, get in the way of of uh, biblical interpretation. Now, in another sense, you could look at experience in another sense, which might not be necessarily negative. For example, sometimes we just have to have a little bit of life experience when we interpret scripture because some things seem out of place. Like for example. Um, most of us, it takes us a while of going through life before we realize uh, who we really are. I mean, uh, until we come to a place where we have a very realistic view of ourselves. You know, sometimes we, we 
as as children we grow up thinking you know we're special we think we're invincible we think we're better than everybody else we, we might think we're uh, we're good inside or uh, we have a good heart or all these different things that we might grow up with and then and then life hits us and we make mistakes and and we we do things that we regret and then we slowly start to to kind of wake up to the reality of who we really are and then we not just ourselves but the world in general we we have an, we have a naive view of self a naive view of the world naive view of humanity and as we acquire life experience we we tend to have a more realistic view and once we do that it's easier for us to appreciate some of the things the bible has to say while otherwise before we might think oh wow you know the Bible seems to have a very pessimistic view of reality and all these different things. So, so in that sense, experience could be positive, you know, just life experience. It could help us to better appreciate the things we, we have in scripture. Now, another sense in which experience could, could affect things is our own conversion experience or our own experience with God. You know, we, we see God providentially working in our lives and all these things. And I'm not saying that these things are not positives that help us to better understand scripture, to better appreciate it, but I'm not convinced that they're completely necessary in interpretation. In other words, it theoretically should be possible to put together a methodology and give that methodology to somebody who, who's completely, you know, might have nothing to do with religion, might be a, an atheist or somebody from a different religion. And as long as they understand the methodology, they should be able to go through scripture and come to, to some understanding of it. Um, the same kind of understanding as somebody who, who was a Christian, but was using the same methodology. Now, again, I'm not completely sure about this point. I could be wrong here, but theoretically speaking, uh, the nature of methodology is just that, that you should be able to follow methodology and, and arrive in a certain place regardless of other factors. So I'm not convinced that the person has to be a Christian to follow a certain approach to scripture and then to come to certain conclusions as a result of working to that methodology. Um, so again, you know, in, when it comes to this this aspect of the quadrilateral, the experience component, um, I'm a little bit less, um, maybe I have a little bit less of a negative take on it as the others. It is, there is a sense in which experience can be problematic. There is a sense in which it could be a positive in, in interpretation, but overall, it's possible that it actually doesn't affect things at all as well. So anyway, the, the point of all this is that um, I've, I've not left the quadrilateral out of my paper because uh, I just didn't think of it or anything like that. I left it out on purpose because overall, I just don't see how the quadrilateral could be useful for this particular approach to, to a sola scriptura theology. If we use the Protestant approach, which... I personally have labeled a pseudo sola scriptura theology, then he lines up with that. It, it, it is essentially the Protestant approach, reason, tradition, experience. But if you're trying to do a true sola scriptura theology, like I've described in my paper, 
Um, I'm just not sure it's the quadrilateral really helps in any way or contributes anything to, to the methodology that I've described. Um, but like I said, if somebody disagrees and they, they think that the quadrilateral has something to offer, uh, something to offer to a, a purely biblical theology, then by all means, I'm, I'm more than willing to be convinced otherwise. Anyway, that's, that's my... Um, that's my take on the, the quadrilateral here. I just wanted to briefly discuss it because people have mentioned it. And uh, so I, I thought it should be addressed. 